Thank you so much. You can be seated. Uh, my name's Chad, and it's always a privilege to be able to be with you. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. I hope you'll continue to pray, to pray for Pastor Chris. He's with First Baptist North Tulsa this morning. Remember, we're beginning that partnership and that relationship with First Baptist North Tulsa, and their campus isn't fully uh, in, uh, face-to-face, and so he's preaching live online this morning at First Baptist North Tulsa, and, and I'm just, I just have the privilege of being a part of the staff here and being a part of what God's doing here, and I've been spending quite a bit of time uh, down in Tulsa at our Tulsa campus, and it's been amazing to see the work that God is doing there. You know, as we look out across this room, and, and as we see online, we see the number of people who are participating. It's been incredible to see what God has been doing, and I'm just so thankful, whether you're watching online or in the room, that we get to do this together. And, and you can see we're, we're trying to do some kind of social distancing, and we've reduced the number of chairs in the room, and we're, we're taking some precautions. Well, the same thing is happening at the campus in Tulsa. And one of the remarkable things that God is doing there is that for the past several weeks, the number of people attending worship in Tulsa at our Calvary campus is actually greater than what it was pre-COVID. So we're having pre-COVID, more than pre-COVID attendance at the Calvary campus. I'd love for us to celebrate that. It's just amazing to see what God is doing down there. And so I'm just so very thankful for it and so very thankful for you. I hope that that passage of scripture that we just read, Acts chapter 8, that you'll keep your finger in that passage because we're going to take a look at that today and really just kind of go verse by verse, section by section through that passage of scripture. Uh, But before we do that, I want to just kind of give us a quick review of where we've been and some of the things we've been discussing. We're in a series right now called Together in a Changing World because we're talking about the church and what it means to be the church and really what it means to be together and what it means to gather as a church. And I'm just so thankful for this church and, and I think what I'm about to say, you'll be able to see illustrated in just a second. But one of the truths that we've really been trying to highlight in this series is that your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. Let me say that again. Your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. Now, I know how strange that may sound. I'm not talking necessarily about some organization or you've got to be a part of the right church or a member of the right thing or the right country club or anything like that. I really mean the church as the Bible defines the church. Your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. I believe it because the Bible teaches it, that God designed us God designed us to be in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. And so he's designed us for both of those kinds of relationships. And so we need one another. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that Christ is the head of the church and that as the church, we are all members of this one body. And if any one of you shows up missing, my body is incomplete because I'm a part of this church. Does that make sense? And so I so greatly need you as much as I need, uh, as, as much as we need one another, and then we need our relationship with Christ to be right. Uh, It's amazing to me as I think about even even in the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments. I think about so many of those Ten Commandments are commandments that involve our relationship with God, and then the rest of the commandments are about the, the, the things that involve our relationship with one another. God is just very serious about our relationship with him and our relationship with one another, and it's just something that Scripture teaches. I know you may have had 
a bad experience with organized religion, and I get it. Uh, we're people, and we're, we stink sometimes. We make silly, stupid, selfish decisions sometimes, and sometimes we do it in the name of a religion, or sometimes we do it in the name of an organization. But one way or another, the Bible still teaches, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our mistakes, actually even in spite of our humanity, right? that God's designed us in such a way that we need one another and our life with Christ is just incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. I've experienced that recently. Uh, Many of you may already know that several weeks ago, uh, my father passed away. And um, it was sudden, it was unexpected, um, it was tragic. And uh, last week was when we, uh, a week ago last Thursday is when we celebrated his his funeral, his, his, his home going. And it's been remarkable to me. My life is connected into the life of this church. And you all, I, maybe the best way for me to illustrate it is to just say thank you. Thank you so much for the way you've prayed for me and my family, for the way you've loved on us and you've cared for us, for the cards that have sent, for the emails, for the text messages that have been sent. I've got stacks of cards this high from people just saying, hey, I'm praying for you during this time. I'm with you. We love you and we support you. And my mom, who goes to First Baptist Church in Moore, Oklahoma, she has a a stack twice that high because she's getting cards from church members at First Moore as well as from people here in Owasso. And and we're fatter now because when we're in crisis. We eat, right? And you guys make casseroles and they just show up in the right. I don't know how that happens. I'm in Oklahoma City and a casserole shows up from Owasso. I'm not sure what that means, but that's what we do when we're in tragedy as Baptists, right? We eat and we, we make things for people. But I have in the past month, because my dad started going downhill about a month ago, um, I've experienced personally, firsthand, what it means to be connected with God's people in a significant relationship. And I'm just so thankful for each and every one of you. And you know, you may be here on campus and you may be watching online, but whether you're online or on campus, you can be fully engaged in the church that Christ has for you. You can be fully engaged with that. Actually, I've seen people online that when they, when they watch online, and you might be guilty of this and you might not, but so I'm not necessarily talking about just you right now, but, but I've, I've seen people when they're watching online, maybe you've done this when you've watched from home, you've got the sermon or the message or the, the service playing in the background and it's just kind of in the background while you're doing something else on your computer or you're doing the laundry or the dishes and it's just playing in the background and, and maybe, you're, uh, maybe you're playing Angry Birds or you've got a tick talk up or something like that. You've got something else going on in the background. When you do that, you're not really fully engaged. You can be fully connected in the life of the church online, but in order to do that, you have to be fully engaged. And so let me challenge you, if you're online today and you're watching online, what I'd challenge you to do is let this be the only thing you focus on in this moment. Not necessarily me or my voice, but let the word of God and the worship of God be the thing that you focus on for the next few minutes so that you can remain fully engaged with this church that God has called us to. And then just because you're on campus, I want to just kind of look to all of us who are on campus and in the room face-to-face today, it's entirely possible for you to be in this room, in this place, face-to-face, and not be fully engaged. I know because I've sat right where you are, right? The songs are happening, the worship's going on, and I'm thinking to myself, I could really use a milkshake right now, and I just really love to have a Brahms hamburger right now, or I'm worried about something that's taken place in my life 
life and I'm not really thinking about the word of God that's being preached or the worship of God that's, that's being offered up, not just from a stage to a pew, but from us in the pew. We're, worshiping up our, we're offering up our worship to our Heavenly Father. And I've just had those moments when I've just been in the room, but so distracted that it's just not possible for me to be fully engaged. And so let me encourage you today, if you're in the room, do your best to remain fully engaged. If that means you need to take notes or you need to draw little pictures or you need to, whatever it is you need to do, let me encourage you to remain fully engaged. And here's one of the ways that I do that in my own personal life. When I come into a moment of worship, whether it's online or whether it's on campus, I have this prayer that I pray and I want to challenge us to pray it today. It helps me focus my heart and my mind around what it is that I believe God wants to teach us today. And so here's the prayer that I pray. It's a really simple one. I just say, God, would you speak to my heart today? Heavenly Father, would you speak to my heart today? I'm not talking about the the, the preacher or the music. I'm just saying, God, through your word, through the preaching, through the music, would you just speak to my heart today? So whether you're online or whether you're in the room, would you pray that prayer with me right now? Speak, Heavenly Father, speak to my heart today. Pray that with me. Heavenly Father, speak to my heart today. Yeah, let's just say it out loud. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, speak to my heart today. Yeah, what a great thing to pray and what a great way to remain engaged. See, the idea for this entire series, not just this morning, but for this entire series is how can we remain connected in a significant relationship with our Heavenly Father and with one another, whether we're face-to-face whether we're online, what does it mean to gather in changing times? That's the series that we've been in. Now, as we look at Acts chapter eight today, we're going to see a practice in the life of our church that I'm afraid we've downplayed a little bit. It's actually a significant scriptural practice that we need to participate in. Every one of us who are believers, it's something that we need to have right in our lives. And so we're gonna see something today that I think is really important for every believer to practice something that we all need to do. And and in order to set that up, I just wanna ask a quick question of you just to kind of get your mind focused on the direction that we're headed. And the question is a really simple one. The question is this, how important are symbols to you? How, how important are symbolic gestures or symbols to you? Now, it might be easy to, to just very quickly just kind of blow that question off. Symbols, they're just symbols. They're just symbolic. It doesn't matter. It's a symbol. It's not the substance. I'm all about substance, right? I don't need something symbolic. I'm all about substance. But yet, uh, I, that may be true, but when I walked in this morning, you know, several of us are wearing face masks, right? I've got my face mask in here. And I noticed that some of you, when you walk in, you have a face mask and it's crimson and cream and it's covered in OU and it's just this beautiful symbol right there on your face. It's just, it's just beautiful. And I noticed some of you have a face mask that you wore in today and it's orange and black and it's OSU. And I think to myself, why even bother? Why? I just don't get it. I don't get it. And then like my face mask has an M on it because it's for the mission and it just reminds me to pray for the mission and the work that we're doing there, which I think is awesome and it's fun. But so before you have this knee-jerk reaction of symbols aren't, just aren't that, that important, I just want you to think through that maybe symbols are more important than we might think. And I can really put a fine tip on it. And it's as close to politics as I'm gonna get today when I say this. If you have an emotional, visceral, knee-jerk reaction when someone chooses to either stand or to kneel for a flag or for a national anthem. If you have an emotional, visceral, knee-jerk reaction, whatever the, whatever the posture is and whatever your emotional reaction is, may I suggest that symbols really matter, right? 
symbols are important. And so today, we're going to see from Acts chapter 8, a symbol of our faith that we need to get right. We're going to see a symbol of our faith that we need to get right. So let's read part of that passage again. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Well, let me set that up for you just a minute. Uh, Jesus has already died. He's risen from the dead. He's actually, the day of Pentecost has happened. He sent his Holy Spirit. He's ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. And now the church is growing in Jerusalem. And it's been amazing to see the transformation of lives that have taken place in the city of Jerusalem because the gospel has been preached boldly and faithfully in Jerusalem. But remember in Acts chapter one, uh, the, the angels, they, they tell the, the disciples that they need to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth sharing the gospel. Well, they haven't really done that yet until you get to Acts chapter 8. And what's interesting is Philip, who is one of the men who has been with Jesus, he's one of the disciples of Christ. He's the first guy to leave Jerusalem. Here's this safe uh, place of faith, Jerusalem church that's growing up. And Philip has left Jerusalem and he's gone of all places to Samaria. Remember he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, Philip is the first missionary to go and do that. And he begins preaching the gospel and he's met with incredible success. The gospel is received in Samaria. And that in and of itself is miraculous because the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, they don't really like each other. There's actually a scene in the New Testament where James and John have come to Jesus and they're like, I'm not sure we should even talk to these Samaritan people about about the faith, about the gospel, because they're Samaritans. They're not one of us. And Jesus corrects them in that moment. But here's Philip now doing exactly what scripture says. He goes to Samaria to preach the gospel. And he's, he's met with incredible success. So Philip is the pastor of this successful church in Samaria. It's so successful that Peter and John come to see him and to help him out with the work and to confirm the work that's being done there. There's a little bit of conflict inside the church for a little bit because um, as, people are, as people are saved, it happens like this today, right? They bring their old sin habits into the church. They're saved people. Jesus has changed their lives and transformed them, but they're still stuck in some of their old sin habits. And so they bring them into the church with them. And so now it's inside the context of this local body of believers that we have the privilege of being able to find grace and demonstrate grace to one another as God sanctifies us and grows us in our faith and helps us to become more and more mature in our faith so that those old sin habits go away. Well, there was a conflict in the Samaritan church that Philip and Peter and John together helped address. And I just think it's amazing to see what happens in verse 26. So Philip's an important guy in Samaria. He's got work to do. The work's not finished yet. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And look at his reaction. He, he has to pray about it, right? He has to wait. God, are you really sure? I've got a lot of responsibilities here. Hey, are you really sure we just had this conflict? Maybe, God, I should put this fleece out and I should ask you one more time. Could you just prove to me that I really need to go? Is that his reaction? It's not. Look at verse 27. And he rose and went. That leads me to an idea from this passage that I think is critical for you and me today. Go where God sends. Wherever he sends, whatever he says. Doesn't matter how important the work you're doing right now is. If God speaks, you should say yes. That's actually the prayer we prayed today, isn't it? God, would you speak to my heart today? 
Why would we pray a prayer like that if we didn't have the intent of doing whatever it was he asked us to do in that moment? For Philip, he had an important job to do in Samaria, but he knew that the importance and the significance of his job was directly related to his obedience and his faithfulness to the word of Jesus Christ. And so when God said go, he went. Without hesitation, without stuttering, without pause, he just went. He said yes, and that's what I hope you do today. I hope that today, when God speaks, that your answer is nothing more and nothing less than yes. That when God speaks, that you would just go. You know, we think of a missionary as someone who changes their location in order to share the gospel with someone else. But can I tell you that as a, as a believer here, one of the things I love about our church is we're constantly sending people out on mission. And there are some people who go on mission right there in their workspace or right there in their home because they're sharing the gospel everywhere they go. But maybe to you today, maybe for you today, your role is to be on mission somewhere because God is sending you somewhere. Maybe he's sending you to your family or your extended family. Maybe he's sending you into your workplace to be salt and light or to your school, to that class classroom, to the people that you're hanging out with. Maybe he's sending you to be a missionary and all you have to do is say yes in that moment. You heard Chris in the video talk just a few minutes ago about Compassion International. I'm so excited about that coming to our church. October 2nd through the 4th, that's going to be here and you'll have an opportunity to experience what life is like in a developing country. You'll be able to see all that. It's an interactive, uh, virtual kind of experience where it's, it's fully immersive. It's an it's amazing experience. You'll get to see that. But as a part of that, we have an opportunity to partner with a pastor and a church in Ocotal, Nicaragua. Uh, that pastor, his name is Pastor Pablo. I hope you'll begin praying with him. In the years ahead, we hope to take people on mission to Ocotal. That's, how, that's, that's one of the places we hope to go. But even if you never physically get to leave this space to go to Ocotal, you have an opportunity to sponsor a child in Ocotal, Nicaragua. You have an opportunity to do that. For $38 a month, you can sponsor a child. And we're praying that 180 people would, or 180 children would be sponsored from our church. When you do that, they hear the gospel. They're fed, they're clothed, they're educated. It starts when they're young and it ends when they're, when they're mature adults. And we have seen over and over and over again the, in, the impact and the influence that, that people like you and people like me can have as, as we just simply go when God says go or give when God says give or speak when God says speak. And in the next couple of weeks, I hope you'll be praying about whether or not you should be one of those people who sponsors one of those children because it will transform not simply the life of a child, it'll transform a community. And if you have the privilege, you'll have the opportunity to pray with them and to send them notes and, and have correspondence back and forth to them. But you might even have the, the opportunity to go to Okotal and meet them as a part of a mission trip here. So I hope you'll begin praying about that. When God says go, we need to go. And look at the unlikely place that God sent Philip to. When God says go, we just say yes. Look what happens, verse 27. And Philip, he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So once again, Philip doesn't hesitate. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Isn't that amazing? 
Philip says, I've got this important church, God. I'm, I'm, I'm here I am doing this. And God says, I want you to go somewhere else. He gets up and he goes without hesitation. And then he runs into someone who's from a totally different culture, totally possibly different language. He's on foot and the other guy's in a chariot. How do you catch up to a chariot if the chariot's moving? He was either exceptionally fast or God slowed down the chariot or maybe the Ethiopian was just hanging out on the side of the road. I'm not exactly certain what it was that, that Philip was capable of doing in that moment. But in that moment, Philip walks up to the Ethiopian and just makes an introduction. God said, go talk to the Ethiopian. So he did. In spite of culture, in spite of language, in spite of all the possible arguments and obstacles, Philip just went and said yes. And when he did that, that Ethiopian eunuch had a question about something he was reading. Well, what was he reading? Well, I don't know. Well, actually I do. The Bible says Isaiah. Philip didn't know what he was reading, yet he went anyway. You know, how many times have you not shared the gospel with someone because you're afraid you're not going to know the answers to their questions? How many times have you hesitated to make an introduction? Hey, I know Jesus. Have you met Jesus? How many times have you hesitated to make that introduction simply because the, the introduction might feel a little awkward? How do you go from how was your day and this thing that's going on at work to could I introduce you to my friend? His name's Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what he's done for me in my life. How many times have we hesitated and just not shared the gospel because of something that's, that might feel a little awkward or because of something where we were afraid we might not know the answer to the question, yet Philip shows up and he just says, yes. Couldn't we do the same? And it leads me to something that I think is true about scripture. The Bible, all of the Bible, is the story of the glory of God to save. Every place you go in scripture, and here's what I'm struck by, it, the fact that, that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah, uh, Philip had to explain the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch from the, New, from the Old Testament, because this much, this is my New Testament, this much of the Bible had yet to be written. So the only thing Philip could use to, to speak the gospel to him beyond his own testimony that was the word was from the Old Testament. And what are the odds that this man would be sitting in a chariot reading from the book of Isaiah? He's actually reading Isaiah 53 and actually verses uh, 32 and 33 are, are a passage from Isaiah 53. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth and his humiliation just Justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? You see, all of the Bible re reveals the glory of God to save. If you open up to Genesis and you read the book of Genesis, you know what you see? You see the glory of God to save. And if you go all the way to Revelation and you see all of the prophecy and all the symbols in Revelation and all the difficult things that are, that, that, that are there to understand and you read through it and you come to understand it, what you're going to see is Revelation is the, is the story of the glory of God to save. And every book in between is the story of the glory of God to save. Well, to save who? Well, to save you and to save me. And in that moment, Philip stands up and he says, this man that, that's being prophesied about in Isaiah, this man was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let me tell you what he did for me. You see, I was a sinner. My life was filled with sin. My life was filled with things that were mistakes that sometimes I made because I'm silly or stupid. And sometimes it was stuff that I just liked to do and was just wrong. It was rebellion against God. It broke my relationship with people. And you know what? Sin is something we can all agree on because you've experienced it, right? You've been hurt because of someone else's sin. 
And your sin has caused you to hurt someone else, right? No matter what you think about church or the Bible, sin we can all agree on because you've experienced it, you've seen it. And, and the Bible says that it's really worse than that. It's not just that we've hurt our relationship with one another. It's that we've broken our relationship with God. In our rebellion, we've said no to God. And the gospel, the good news is about Jesus Christ, that Jesus, God himself, he looked to us and he loved us so much that he couldn't stand for us to be separated by our sin. So he made a way for our salvation. Jesus Christ came into this world and he lived a sinless, perfect, spotless life. And he willingly gave his life on the cross at Calvary. He died to take the punishment and penalty for your sin, to take the blame for what we deserved and to pay that penalty for us so that we might be forgiven. And then to prove that he was God, Jesus rose from the dead and he lives today. And by his spirit today, we can know salvation through the grace of God given through Jesus Christ. And Philip was able to tell that story from Isaiah 53. Not because Philip was brilliant, but because God provided a way. Because the Ethiopian eunuch asked all the right questions at all the right time. And isn't that the way God works? Hey, Philip, I need you to go somewhere. Yes, I'll go. And he shows up and there's a man who needs to hear the gospel. Here's a man who may not speak his language, who is definitely not from his culture, whose socioeconomic status is not at all like him, his. But here he is reading of everything he could possibly be reading. He's reading Isaiah out of his Bible. And he asks a question and Philip says, well, let me tell you who that prophecy is about. It's about Jesus. You see, it leads me to believe that that there are people in our lives, there's a person, there's someone in your life who is a, a seeking soul. They're asking the right questions. They're, they may even be reading some of the right things. They're willing, they're, they're, they're a seeking soul. And what's missing from the equation though is a, is a willing witness. Someone like you or me to just say yes. Yes, I will go. See, because what happens is when a willing witness meets a seeking soul, God creates this divine appointment where a life is transformed forever. Where a life is transformed forever. So will you say yes today? Not simply to being a willing witness, but will you say yes to whatever it is that God asks from you? You see, that's the last part of the passage that I find really interesting. You know, as Baptists, we have the word Baptist in our name, right? And so baptism should be a high priority for us. Being baptized should be something that's significant to us. That's a symbol of our faith that helps people understand that we belong to Jesus, that we've placed our faith in Christ and that now we belong to him. Yet it seems like in recent days that we've minimized the significance of baptism. And and the reason why we've done that is because baptism is not what saves you. You're not saved because of your baptism. Your baptism is a symbol of your faith in the same way that this wedding ring I didn't wear this wedding ring before I got married. I wore this wedding ring at that moment when my wife, as we're making vows and commitments to one another in the context of a worship service we called a marriage, a wedding, she put this ring on my finger to show that we've made these promises to one another. So again, are, are, are symbols significant to you? Do symbols matter? Well, let me just set this off to the side here. Let me take that off and set that off to the side here and walk around without it for a little bit and see what my wife has to say about that, right? <laughs> Maybe symbols matter, right? Maybe they do. 
It doesn't make me saved, or excuse me, it doesn't make me married to wear my ring. It doesn't make me unmarried to not wear my ring. But that symbol is important to me and important to my bride. Actually, it's important enough. I should probably put that on before she sees this. (laughs) And so here I am with my ring on. I'm still married whether I've got it on or not. But this ring tells the world I belong to Londa. Symbols matter. And what you see next in this passage of scripture, I find really interesting. Look at verse 34, Acts chapter eight, verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, which I've already told you today, that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that your sins could be forgiven. Will you say yes to him today? Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Well, now there's another miracle. Philip says, or God says, Philip, I need you to get up and go. So Philip goes, he shows up where? In a desert. And here's a man who's not from his culture, may not speak his language very well, just reading in a chariot and you're on foot. And somehow Philip's able to catch up with him, share the gospel with him. And now this Ethiopian understands and and he wants to know more, but they're in the desert. And now here's water. You see, when God's in it, there's nothing that can stop it, right? When God's in it, there's nothing that can stop it. So why not say yes when he asks you to go? Why not say yes when he asks you to speak up? Because when God's in it, there's nothing that can stop it. Now watch this in verse 36. And they were going along the road. They came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip, with the, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And, when he, was, and he went on his way rejoicing. You see, that's the symbol that I want us to see today is baptism. Somehow, as Philip shared the gospel with the eunuch, he made it so clear that baptism is, is such an important symbol of our faith that, Philip, that the eunuch's question wasn't, how can I be saved? His question wasn't, how do I pray? His question was, why can't I be baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? Now, I want to be crystal clear. Baptism is a symbol. It does not save you. The reason you're saved is because of the grace of God through, the, through faith in God, in his son, Jesus Christ. It's, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone that you're saved. But that symbol of baptism is such a significant part of the show of who we belong to that you can't find, apart from the, apart from the thief on the cross, You can't find anyone in the New Testament who claimed faith in Christ. You can't find an example of someone who claimed faith in Christ in the New Testament that wasn't baptized. Not because baptism saves you, but because baptism was such a significant symbol that that's the way you would tell the world, I belong to Jesus. You see, for every believer, baptism is a mark of our salvation. Baptism is a mark of our salvation. The word baptism actually is transliterated from the Greek word baptizo. I'm so glad that they transliterated it because the literal definition of baptizo is dipped. And so we're the first Baptist church. If they had translated it accurately, we would be the first dipped church. (laughs) And uh, while I do hang out with a bunch of dips (laughs) on the staff, um, I'm so glad that we're Baptist instead of dipped. It literally means fully immersed. 
And there's a reason why that full immersion is important. It's important because the symbol is important. You see, here's what, here's what that, that symbol really shows us. When you step into the water of a baptistry, something like this, when you step into the water, it symbolized the fact that Jesus, who was the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, he deliberately and willfully stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth. When you, stepped, when you step into the water, it's the symbol of Christ coming to earth. And then when you go down fully immersed underneath that water, it's the symbol of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and you're buried with him in baptism. It's a symbol of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. And it shows very clearly that Jesus wasn't just asleep and Jesus wasn't just doing something. uh, He wasn't performing a trick. He wasn't doing something magical or mystical. He was doing something spiritual and something that was spiritually significant. Jesus literally died on the cross and he was buried. And when you go down under the water, it's the symbol of that burial. And then when you come back up from the water, oh, what a glorious moment that is. When you come back up from the water, it's a symbol of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that it's by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we come to faith in Christ. And that water represents that washing and that renewal and that regeneration and that resurrection that takes place in the life of a believer that starts in the inside, the heart of a believer as the Spirit reaches in to save and then affects and transforms everything about the outward position of that person's life. So the symbol of our baptism is so important because that symbol reminds us of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that we, well, it reminds us that the old things are gone and behold, Jesus Christ has made all things new. And so every believer in the New Testament, except probably the thief on the cross, You can't find one that wasn't baptized, not because they needed it to be saved, but because they wanted to tell the world, I am saved. I belong to Jesus. And it leads me to a conclusion, both here with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and with every other believer I see in the New Testament. It's the conclusion, it's as simple as this. You cannot be fully faithful to Christ until you've been baptized. I know that's a bold statement. It doesn't mean that you don't get to go to heaven. You don't get baptized to go to heaven. That's what God does. God does that for you through Jesus Christ. But if we're going to be obedient to our heavenly father, if we're going to be faithful to him, why wouldn't we say yes to something as simple as a symbol that puts us in water, underwater, out of water, and shows the world, I belong to Jesus. How strange would it be if on the day of my wedding, I looked at Londa and said, Londa, I'm going to make all these promises to you. I want to live my life with you. I want to be married to you, but I don't really want anyone to know. How strange and how short a marriage would I have if I actually said that? It just wouldn't work. Symbols matter. This flag, um, a week ago Thursday is when my father's service was. And this was the flag that draped his casket. Um, He served in the Army Security Agency when he was a much younger man. 
And, and so um, there was this moment at the end of the service where a soldier marched down an aisle to the tune of taps. And he came to the head of my father's casket and he saluted. You might think in that moment that he was saluting the flag and that may have been true, but in that moment, I really think he was saluting my father because my father served and my father sacrificed. And he did it, he did it on the border of East and West Germany in the Army Security Agency. And then another soldier came down and joined him, marched down the aisle and joined him. And they removed this flag from his casket and they folded it. There's 13 folds in this flag. They folded it 13 times and then they tucked in those edges. And then they handed it to my mom. And they said that thing that many of us are familiar with on behalf of the president of the United States and a grateful nation. And they presented this flag to my mom and then they stood one more time. And this time, they saluted both this flag and my mom for the service of her husband and the sacrifice that our family at one point was called on to make long before I was born. What an incredibly meaningful, symbolic gesture that was. What an incredible way that my father was honored in that moment. <laughs> a flag like this will never drape my casket. It won't do it. I never had the privilege or the honor of serving in the armed forces. This symbol is meaningful because at some point my father enlisted and said yes. There is a symbol of our faith that is meaningful. It's the symbol of baptism. And today, if you're a believer in Christ and you've not been baptized, you should say yes and be baptized. Maybe you were baptized as an infant and I don't wanna deny the significance of that family dedication moment, but according to scripture, that moment wasn't about salvation. That moment was about a family dedication. And I don't wanna deny someone who may have been baptized at a moment when all their friends were and they just wanted to kind of join. I don't wanna deny that that moment might've been meaningful, but if that moment happened before you placed your faith in Christ, before you were mature enough to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead and now I am making my... I'm committing my life to Christ, if you had that baptism moment before that moment, then your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. You need to be baptized. And if in a service just like this, as you watch online today, or you sit in a room like this and you hear the gospel and you think to yourself, I want that. I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Fantastic. Do it. Simply ask him to save and he will. He has. And now what's next is the, is the question the Ethiopian eunuch asked. What prevents me? from being baptized. If I've placed my faith, if you've placed your faith in Christ, what's, what prevents you? What today stops you from being baptized? It's nothing more or less than our willingness to say yes. So next Sunday morning, excuse me, next Sunday afternoon at four o'clock, we're gonna have a, a baptism celebration. 
And that baptism celebration is going to take place at four o'clock on the front lawn of the church. And we would love for you to be a part of it. So whether you're watching online or whether you're in the room, here's how you can be a part of that baptismal service. You could say yes to that today. And there's a couple of ways you could do it. You could take out your phone and you could open up the church app. And there's a link right on the front page called All In. All you have to do to register for that moment is click that button and you can register to be baptized next Sunday morning. What prevents you from doing that? You can say yes. Maybe you're not an app guy. Maybe you'd rather just pull it up on the website. It's fbcowasso.org. Find the baptism button and click that button. And you can say yes to being baptized next Sunday morning. Maybe you're not really a tech person at all and you'd rather just talk to someone. Or maybe like the Ethiopian eunuch, you just have a question. That's great. Walk out of this room. Walk right up to one of those welcome centers and say, hey, I want to know. I want to be baptized or I want to know more about this Jesus. And just ask them, there's someone here as soon as this service is over right through those doors who would love to talk to you. There's someone online right now if you just type, I want to know more, who would be glad to talk to you about what it means to place your faith in Christ and what it means to be baptized. So this morning, will you say yes to your heavenly father? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the life that you've given to us, for the love that you've shown us. Thank you for the symbols of our faith that represent so many deep and meaningful things. But most of all, thank you for the substance of that symbol, that Jesus Christ loved us with an everlasting love, that that God, you loved us enough to send your one and only son who loved us and gave himself for us. And so I pray that today we would say yes to you. And that everyone today who has placed their faith in Christ, that every believer who comes to this place, every believer who's connected to this church, every believer who's connected to you, Father, by faith in Christ, I pray that our natural reaction to you and to your voice would always be to say yes to whatever it is that you ask. And so in this moment, if we need to be baptized, let us say yes and follow you in believer's baptism. We're so thankful for the life you've given to us and the love that you've shown us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.